Sister Kim's going to read it to you in, in just a minute, but I'm going to thank God for the word. Father, we thank you for this journey through Genesis and for us being able to come together in your house under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and study the book of beginnings. Father, our world has so many ideas about creation and where it came from, but your word tells us in the beginning, God, you created all things, Lord, and you created us from the dust and breathe life into us. Father, as we see all of what you've done and how you birthed the nation of Israel in the book of Genesis, the beginning of your people, a, a peculiar people, a people of God, an imperfect people, yet one that you're married to. Father, we thank you being grafted in tonight, grafted into the blessing of Abraham. Father, help us to understand that this matters to how we live. It matters to us to understand our genesis and our roots and our beginnings. And open the text up to us tonight as we look at Joseph and the nation of Israel being birthed and how God, you've provided for them in famine and you've kept them alive through a series of miracles and interesting circumstances. Father, as we explore 45 tonight, let it come alive to us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, sister, come and read the whole chapter, nothing but the chapter, so help you God. Starting in verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. Verse 16. Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beast and go to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land." 
Now you are ordered, do this. Take wagons from all the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourself with your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wages according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Amen. Verse 1, I like this. We've been waiting for this. If you've been following this story, you've been waiting for Joseph to reveal himself to his brothers. Because it was a little bit agonizing and a little bit painful to watch him make them jump through hoops and knowing that he was emotionally devastated and uh, he was restraining himself. And it says this here, then Joseph could control himself no longer. So he's done. He breaks. And everybody has their emotional breaking point. Say amen. amen. Don't look at me at, like they're like you're chiseled out of granite. We're all soft and tender in spots, aren't we? Nobody wants to look at me. All you John Waynes out there. You cried at the Lion King, didn't you? Yeah. Joseph controlled himself up to that point. He could restrain himself no longer. His emotions overcame him. As far as we know, he's the only one dealing with this. We don't know if he's told anyone in his house, in his court, from the land of Egypt. We don't know. You know, he's got some of his servants working with him and stuffing things in his brother's bags and planting cups and all of that stuff. But we don't know if he led on to the fact that these were his brothers that sold him into slavery. So as far as we know, he is dealing with all this emotion himself and he can't take it anymore and his restraint is gone, his self-control is gone and he breaks. And it's a good thing because it's a God thing because God is about to heal the relationship between him and his estranged family and that's something that he's needed for a long time. You know, two things that Joseph shows here, emotional restraint and self-control. In fact, I want you to say that with me. Say emotional restraint. Wait a minute, I didn't say it yet. Self-control. Self-control. Control yourself, okay? So emotional restraint and self-control. These are two important things. Joseph has them, and we've seen him use them. But I want to just point out that you say, well, why does Joseph get to be in charge of all Egypt? Because he has emotional restraint and self-control. Those are two huge leadership qualities. And until you can control yourself, you are not ready to lead anything. If you can't lead yourself, if you can't control yourself, I see people all the time, poor character, no self-restraint, no emotional self-control, and they wanna be in charge. And you know what, sometimes when they bully themselves into positions of leadership, they make messes that damage other people's lives. Wow, 
Okay, that was enough for tonight. You can go home. But if we can learn those two things, to restrain our emotions and to control ourselves, wow, how God can use us and expand our ability to be useful in his hands. Joseph had those things. Gifted leaders have those things. They can restrain their passions. Leaders who can't restrain their passions make big messes in governments and communities and in the kingdom of God. We've seen it. Leaders that can't control their sexual passions in the kingdom of God and they fall from grace, as it were, and shatter entire churches and bodies and, and, and shame the body of Christ. Now we're not picking on them tonight. I learned a long time ago that when you're in leadership, if you're sitting out in the pews, you might have one or two devils assigned to you. If you dare to follow God into leadership, you might have a hundred assigned to you. So we can't be too hard on people because the enemy's working full time to make them fall. And when they do fall, we shouldn't shoot our own wounded and kick them when they're down. But we need to realize many times it's a lack of self-control that they never, and we see this, they thrust people into leadership positions. We've seen it in the body of Christ when a celebrity gets saved and the next minute they're a celebrity pastor of a huge church. Come on, we've seen that stuff before. Who's been around the block a couple times? Raise your hand. And how does that always work out? Splendidly for the devil, but never for the body. So I'm pointing some things out here, and we, we need to take note of why Joseph has these character traits. God designed him for leadership, and uh, we need to notice why he's there. Verse 2, Joe maintains his dignity here. Now I want you to see this. He is going to come unglued here, and he knows it. Um, he says here, have everyone go out from me so that there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brother. So what does he do? He sends out all the non-essential personnel. Hello. You know, and this is wisdom here. And I want to say something to you about that. There's a time to open ourselves up. There's a time to show emotion. There's a time to let our hair down. But we have to be careful about who we do it in front of. Come on, if I'm telling the truth, someone make a noise. Okay, and you know, sometimes opening your heart up to the wrong person can make a bigger mess. Joseph restrains himself, but he manages here to maintain his dignity. He, he, you know, we're going to see that he weeps so loudly that people hear it, but he does try and preserve, you know, his leadership and his integrity and all these things. Uh, at some point, he's going to, because he gets so loud, now he's going to have to explain himself to the Egyptians because they hear it. But I want you to see that principle there. Don't just reveal everything that's in your heart to everybody. Be choosy about it. Make sure they're spiritually mature. Make sure they're for you. Make sure they're not going to use the information against you. Wise as a serpent, gentle as doves. He maintains his dignity. He, he's revealing himself to, to his brothers. Verse 3 is the big reveal that we've been waiting for. I know it seemed to me like the chapters were dragging. I'm just like, it got painful studying through this. I'm like, just, just reveal to them. You know you want to, Joseph, but God does everything in steps and in this timing. And in verse 3, it is the right time. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, and they were dismayed at his presence. Do we understand why? <laughs> 
They've been dealing with this guy who's the man. They've been calling him the man. The man has been putting him through the ringer and making him jump through hoops and terrorizing them. He's imprisoned some of them. He's threatened others of them. He's given ultimatums to them. They are thoroughly horrified of the man. Now, the man that they've been dealing with, their brother who they didn't recognize because he had changed so much, and they didn't, reveals himself and says, I am Joseph. And the second thing he says in the same breath, is my father still alive? Now, his brother's response is understandable. They're shocked, they're silent, they're fearful, and they're paralyzed. (laughs) And if we take a minute to put ourselves in their shoes, all of this makes very good sense. If you've ever heard news that's so overwhelming that you can't speak, you know how these guys feel. If you've ever heard something that just stops you in your tracks and shuts your mind down, wow. These guys are just, you know, they don't know whether to be joyful or horrified. There's a mix of emotions. There's, you know, you could see them. Maybe they're starting to look at him and going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what he looked like when we threw him in the hole. Uh Uh-oh. And, you know, his brothers are are stunned and because of the reveal that this brother who they treacherously sold into slavery just reveals that he's still alive, they're anxious and they stand off at a distance from him. You know, look what it says there. Joseph said, you know, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But the brothers could not answer him, stunned, paralyzed, speechless. They were dismayed at his presence. Verse four, then Joseph said to his brothers, please, Come closer to me. Look at that there. They, they are afraid at this point. They don't know what's coming. But they're trying to wrap their minds around the fact that their brother, who they had thought was dead, is alive. Not only is he alive, he's in charge of Egypt. Not only is he in charge of Egypt, he's been working them over for a good while now. And he wants to know if his dad is alive. And he, they're, they're standing at a distance for him. But t- Joseph's tender heart shows you know, his character here. Even though he's been through so much pain, he hasn't allowed bitterness to infect him. He says, come closer to me. You see that? L- listen to the plea there. He doesn't say stand at attention. He doesn't say now it's time to receive your punishment. He, he sees them anxious. He sees them scared. And he says, come closer to me. What a beautiful heart he has. How, how was he able to maintain that heart through all he'd been through? He didn't allow bitterness to infect him. And the, there's a principle in there for us. You know, all of us go through things, things maybe not as cataclysmic as Joseph had gone through, but we go through stuff that has the capability to embitter us. Come on, every single one of us. Why, God? Why did you let this happen? God, why did you let that relationship break me to pieces? Father, why did you let me be under this person who abused me, who lied to me, who took advantage of me? There's all these whys and what ifs that all of us wrestle with. And, and if you're so young in the Lord that you, you know, you're still Teflon and nothing's touched you, God bless you. But it's coming. It's coming. Because it's got to come. None of us are exempt, and we've got to feel some of this stuff. But, you know, a little thing can make a person. There are people who won't come to church because they sat in church once, and someone made them feel uncomfortable, and they're done with church. They've let that one little thing embitter them, and they quit on God, they quit on themselves, and they refuse salvation. Wow. Joseph had been through 
brutality, emotional calamity, false accusations from Miss Potiphar, total betrayal by his brothers, yet somehow, some way, his heart is still tender and pure, and he sees them trembling, and he says, come to me. Wow. It's the heart of Jesus in there that we're seeing. It's the heart of Jesus. When they came closer, he reveals himself. I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And it's all starting to click for them. You know, and he mentions the fact that, you know, who he is and what they did. Now, verse five, he says, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Are you kidding me? How many of us would have said, now it's time for an apology? Do you realize, I was just a little kid. Do you realize what you did to me? Do you realize what I've been through? Come on, let's just be real, right? No, but right away, this guy's heart is incredible. God has preserved it. And he says, you know what? And he, he's not worried about himself. He, he's, he's ministering to them. Don't be so hard on yourselves. Look at the heart that he has here. Don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. So there again, he reveals himself. He pleads with them to come closer. He, he's, you know, he's not angry with them in the sense where he wants to make them pay. And I want to just point out one thing before we move on and take a good look at Joseph's heart here. There's a principle in here. Uh, the brothers were afraid. Joseph called them closer. And I feel the Holy Spirit giving this principle to us that if we want intimacy with God, if we want God to reveal himself to us, if we want to have interaction with him, we've got to get past our fear and we've got to be willing to come closer. You see, this is a picture. You're going to see a lot of pictures of our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with the Father here. You know, these brothers, they did horrible things. They're estranged from him, yet he calls them close, yet they're afraid. Huh. Yes. I wish it was louder. <laughs> We've got to get past our fear and come close to God. See, some of us like that relationship, you know, that hands, you know, keep them at distance. You know, the children of Israel, Moses, you, you go up the mountain. We'll stay here. Let us know how it goes. But God never wanted a long distance relationship. He never wanted to be separated from us. God always wanted to have intimacy. It's as if, you know, the voice of the Lord coming through Joseph, talking to his people, come close to me. Don't be afraid of me. I want to connect with you. Well, I hope that's encouraging you tonight. That you serve a God that doesn't want to sit back on his throne with his arms folded, thinking about all the things you did to let him down and all the sin, but his heart is like Joseph's heart towards his brothers. Come close to me. Don't be afraid. I love you. Don't be too hard on yourself. I know you couldn't help sinning. I, I, I know you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know, Rick, what a knucklehead you are. I, I, that's why I sent Jesus to die for you. Amen. 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 Well, some good things we're seeing in there. 
God's heart towards us is like Joseph's heart towards his brothers. Yes, you've sinned against me, but I've forgiven you. Yes, you know, you're not worthy, but I'm going to give you grace, and I desire to have relationship with you. Uh, verses 5 through 8 show the absolute humility of this guy, and he has a mature heart. He, he gives them God's perspective on everything that happened here, and it's so different from a human perspective. Don't be mad at yourselves. He lets them completely off the hook. God sent me here ahead of you to preserve life. He sees, the, he sees God's plan in everything, amen? This is good for us to understand. The things we go through in life, if we want to just look at it through tunnel vision, through the narrow horse blinders of how it affected us at the moment and not see the big picture of how it works into the kingdom of God, we're going to walk around bitter and confused and angry at God. We've got to see the big picture, amen? It's not just us and the rest of the universe and everything revolves around us. God is using us and shaping us and molding us and conforming us into the image of Christ. And I don't know if you've ever shaped or molded or, you know, fashioned anything, but if it's made out of wood, if it's made out of metal, if it's made out of stone, it takes energy and it takes strength to pound and to bend and to cut and to weld. Come on. You say, well, why does it hurt? Because it's taken all that. We're the workmanship of his hands. And so he's working on us here. And Joseph gets that. Guys, this is not all about you. It's not about your failure or what you did. You know, God sent me here to preserve life. Wow, what an incredible perspective he has. Verses uh, six through eight, he lets them in on his interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. Uh, five years of famine are left, guys. You know, these guys know nothing about Pharaoh's dream. They, they know nothing about why Egypt has grain. They don't know why Egypt's silos are filled and they have grain to sell to them. But he begins to let them know, God sent me here to preserve life, to preserve you guys, because you're the fledgling nation of Israel. And God's going to do something incredible with our family. Uh, again, listen to verse 8, how he frames it. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Wow. You know, the brothers know who the man is. They just didn't know the man is the guy that they threw in the hole and sold. And so all of this is coming on top of them. And he's being very tender, very humble, having a God perspective, no trace of bitterness, a beautiful picture for us. In verse 9, he says, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. Uh, you shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. So Joseph lays it out for the brothers here of what his end game is, and he wants them to know the dream. He wants them to know that the suffering isn't over, but yet uh, he has an anxiousness and an urgency that he would uh, send his brothers back to get his father. Why? He really wants to see his dad. He was daddy's boy. He was daddy's favorite. Remember his little coat that he had? Come on, his multicolored sissy coat that made him so popular with his brothers. <laughs> you forgot about that, huh? 
but he misses his father. He missed his brother, Benjamin. And we're going to see he shows favoritism towards them again. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But he's, he's anxious here. You know, go back and get my father. There's more famine to come. And uh, go tell dad I'm in charge of everything here. <laughs> tell him to come as quickly as possible because I have plans to take care of you. Look what he says. I'm going to give you uh, the choice land in Goshen. Joseph had already handpicked a choice place for his family to live. It was God's design, but Joseph wanted to bless him. He wanted them to come and to live by him. The separation between him and his family had to be over now because he was in charge and he wanted to effectuate the, the fact that they would be close so he could sustain them and fulfill God's promise in them. He also informs them, you know, there's more famine, so, you know, tell dad, basically he's trying to sell it here because he knows his father Jacob and we're going to see it's going to be a hard sell especially the brothers going back and uh, Joseph's going to do what it takes to get his father there and he had hand picked out a place for them now realize in a famine when someone says come near me I'll give you the choice land and I'm going to take care of you that's good news that's probably a good place to sing oh happy day <laughs> even if it's out of key okay just sing it because, you know, basically, we're saved. We're going to live. We're going to have food to eat. We're going to have a beautiful place to live. Come on. I want to sing the Jefferson song, Moving On Up. <laughs> this is great, man. They're in the desert. They're starving. They're fighting over sacks of grain, Julius. Now, all of a sudden, they hit it. Ha. You'd be more excited if it was you. <laughs> Verses 12 through 15, he tells them, you know, tell Jacob and to convince him and he knows the cell won't be easy. He's very emotional with his brothers. Look at, you know, he's been restraining himself, but he's a tender guy with a tender heart. He cries and he kisses and he hugs them, each one of them. Understandably, he's especially affectionate with his little brother, Benjamin. We're going to see whatever he gives to the brothers that sold him, he gives more to Benjamin. Amen. It's good, it's good not to be a treacherous person sometimes. Verses 16 through 20, uh, Pharaoh hears what's happening. Now, remember, he sent everybody out, but, you know, he, he wept loudly and he carried on pretty badly, and people heard. I guess the walls were thin in Egypt. Verse 16, now, when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house, news travels in Egypt, that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then, Joseph said, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land in Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourself with your goods for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Wow. <laughs> Leave your shanty and come on. Move into the palace. Don't even take your stuff. We got better stuff, and it's all yours. Oh, happy day. Come on. It's a good thing here. And I want you to see something here. The favor of God on Joseph's life is not just for Joseph and Jacob. It's, it's divinely orchestrated like that, that God could take the heart of a heathen king and make him have such favor for this Jewish slave who was sold into his land. I mean, all of this is miraculous, but there again, look at, look at the response here. I mean, it's as, you know, Joseph had favor towards his brother, but it's another thing for Pharaoh to have favor towards his, his family. 
I mean, think about it. If Joseph said, you could move in, and Pharaoh said, oh, no, that, I got something to do with that land. You know, they're not moving here. You know, just send them some grain. He could have did that. But it's the favor of God. And we see the favor of God all over the people of God. And Pharaoh's heart is really beautiful. His reaction is encouraging here. Realize there's a lot of moving parts in this and they're all fall, falling into place and it's divine intervention, it's a miracle. Pharaoh's offer is basically this, pack up all, you, all your family, leave your non-essentials behind and come enjoy the best of the land, it's on the house. It's a great thing. Imagine your boss saying, bring in your whole crazy family, everybody gets a corner office with a window and a six-figure salary package. Man, some of you won't take any job, really. Verse 21 and 23, wagons are provided, so they go and they pick them up. Now look at, look at what else is provided here. He's being very, uh, very generous with them. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. Now listen, to each he gave a change of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. See the favoritism there? I want you to notice that. <coughs> to his father, <clears throat> he sent as follows. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So, you know, if somebody delivered ten donkeys to our house, we wouldn't be happy. But, you know, that was like getting cars back then, you know. So he's given them all the sustenance, all the provision, everything they need. And, uh, you know, the five changes of clothes and the 300 pieces of silver for Benjamin are an indication here that, you know, Joseph really goes overboard on honoring his little brother. And he's going to go overboard on honoring his father. And there again, those were the two people who were not involved in what happened to him. So while he says, you know, don't blame yourself, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of a difference in the way he treats one group over the other group, okay? And I want you to notice that. Because remember, we noted that there was favoritism in the family here, and it's still happening. And you know what? Favoritism, even if it's warranted, is never healthy. Thank you. It's just not. It's not healthy. It always makes problems. So if you got your little favorite at home and you think you're hiding it, no, kids know when parents play favorites. And uh, favoritism sown into your family is gonna make a mess at some point. And we see that even though Joseph has great character and a tender heart, we still see the favoritism there and I'm not quite sure uh, that's gonna work out so good. We're gonna see a lot of things happen with these brothers and this family. Uh, Benjamin and Jacob you know, have this connection because they're brothers and he didn't betray his brother. He was just a little guy. So, you know, he treats him well. And I want to say something. Be kind to those who mistreat you. Everybody knows that's Bible, right? We don't feel it in our flesh, but be kind to those who mistreat you. But listen to me, treat those who are loyal to you a little better than you treat your enemies. Hello? You know, I've seen people, well, I treat everybody the same. Well, that's not right. The guy who just tried to assassinate you, you, you treat him the same as you treat your spouse or your children or people who've always had your back. I've seen this in people in the kingdom, in the church. Well, I treat everybody the same. Well, you treat everybody pretty badly. 
That's what I found out. And that's, that's in the, the long and the short, that's what that meant. Everybody gets mistreated by me. Thank you very much. So think about that. You know, he's treating his brother and his father a little bit better, and we get it, but the favoritism's not healthy. And, you know, when we have, David had a problem with this. David, you know, was weeping for Absalom in that battle where his son got killed, and his men had died protecting David. And his general came up to him and said, hey, buddy, pull yourself together right now because you're going to lose your army and they're going to turn on you in about two seconds because you're crying for this little apostate who tried to kill you and take your throne and you're not weeping for your men who laid their lives down for you. See, there's a principle in there. We've got to be good to those who are good to us. We gotta be good to those in the family of God. Yes, we should love our enemies. Yes, we should love the heathen. Yes, we should love the lost. But we should love the body even more than that. The luxurious provision of 10 donkeys and 10 female donkeys and off they're on their way to Egypt with their wagons to pick everything up. Uh, verse 24 is pretty funny here. Even though they've been estranged for a long time, this is what Joseph tells his brothers as they're about to depart. He sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. Did he know these guys are what? He could probably see it already. They were like, well, I, you know, I wanted that set of clothes, or why did you get silver and I didn't get any? And you know, he was like, hey, guys, just get it done. Go back and get my father, okay? I'm in a good mood now. Don't make me mad. Just get along. And he knows them. And, you know, family, no matter how long you're apart, you know each other. Verse 26 and 28, uh, Jacob hears the news here. Now, you got to realize Jacob hasn't stood before the man. He hasn't gone through all this. He's old. He is kind of, you know, you know, aged and uh, not in the greatest of shape by inference we're seeing here. They told him saying, Joseph is still alive. And indeed, he's the ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now remember, these sons had made a lot of mess ups and a lot of mistakes. And here they're, de they're, 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 they're telling their dad this tale. And you got to see old Jacob just sitting there going, now what did they do? You know, just not even wanting to believe it. Joseph's still alive. He's the ruler of Egypt, but he was stunned and he did not believe them. Big surprise. We knew that was going to happen. Joseph knew that was going to happen. And that's why he did some things. When they told him these words of Joseph that had been spoken to him, and when he saw the wagon, see, it wasn't at the word of his sons. It was at the, the compliment of the wagons and all of the workers and all the people who came to pack them up. I mean, U-Haul showed up at the door and the big Arnoff moving truck, and they had all these guys ready to let's pack it up. And so, you know, Jacob's like, well, it's not just my crazy kids. You know, there's, there's some evidence here. And Joseph did that on purpose because he knew he had to get his father there. He had to convince him. Uh, then Israel said, and listen to verse 28, it is enough, my son Joseph is still alive. So he believes, I will go and see him before I die. Uh, there, there's a couple things that happen here. He's stunned. He doesn't believe the news right away. The whole package and the whole entourage is convincing. But when it's revealed to him that Jacob is alive, he's revived. And I want you to see that. Here's an old man who's beat up and worn out and weathered and probably a little bit discouraged. And this great news perks up his spirit. You know, there's times where all of us need to hear good news. There's times when all of us need a break and a breather and some rest and relaxation, amen? The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. 
And I want to encourage you if, you, if your hopes have been dashed and you've been disappointed and you've been patiently waiting for the promise of God, don't quit because he will come through. Jacob didn't quit. Jacob was weathered and worn out, but yet he, he, he marshaled up enough faith to believe and he got excited over the fact that his son was still alive. And even though he was old and they had missed a lot of time together, he somehow has revived enough to get the courage to go and he packs up and he leaves that place and he heads towards Joseph and the chapter ends. Let's bow our heads. <coughs> Father, exciting things, exciting parts of the story here of your people, a father being reunited with a son that he thought was lost, provision being made for people to sustain them in famine, favor with the ungodly, provision, the fat of the land, all of these things that you did to sustain your people and to get your people together and to restore their relationships so that you could make a, a nation out of them. Father, help us to see the big picture in this and in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise. <laughs> Chapter 46 coming up, God willing. We're going to take an offering. Maybe you want to get your rowboat ready and your offering ready. And uh, come this evening and sow into the kingdom.